Before we get started, I do want to mention that today's chat does involve in-depth discussions about the sex industry and sex industry abuse. So if you've got little ones around you or maybe this is a subject that you feel is a little too graphic for you, feel free to skip this episode and check out some of my others instead. I was trapped into this. I fell into this because of poverty and this is mm, the need of money is the main reason women get into the sex industry. 85 to 95 percent of women want to exit the sex industry comes across as being safe but never is. I'm Jazz Rawlinson and this is Reasons to Live, your go-to podcast for inspiring stories of hope, triumph and inspiration from everyday people. Real voices, important issues, no holding back. Ready to join? Let's take a moment to imagine. You're a little girl growing up in a beautiful town in Quebec, Canada. Gymnastics is your passion, and despite being shy, it's actually the one thing that helps you to come out of your shell. Every day, as your father throws you on his shoulders and flips you through the air, it's like the world is at your fingertips. But there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes that no one knows about, like the family violence, the verbal abuse, even your father's threats to kill you and your entire family. As a child, life is complicated and the trauma of your dad's behavior, as well as his decision to abandon you, your sisters and your mother so early on, impacts you deeply. Fast forward 20 years and you're a young woman traveling to Australia in search of new adventures, travel and the chance to study at a highly renowned Victorian university. But over time, your student loan creeps up on you. Suddenly, you're $50,000 in debt Your grant is about to come to an end and Christmas is approaching. You've got no money to pay for presents, let alone food. You try applying for job after job, but there's either nothing available or it requires you to complete weeks of unpaid training and you simply can't survive that long. You need money now. So one Friday afternoon, you find yourself in an internet cafe, googling the words escort work, Melbourne, Three days later, you enter the sex industry. It's okay, you tell yourself. It's just going to be temporary. But eight years later, you're still there. You've already tried leaving so many times by now, but there just doesn't seem to be any way out. How will you ever exit this industry? This is the story of Genevieve Gilbert. Genevieve is a mother, the founder of Pink Cross Australia, and she's also a survivor of the sex industry. Jen and I actually met back in 2013 when I interviewed her for a short series of blogs about the obstacles that she and many others face as they try to exit the sex industry. I've been wanting to do this interview for so long and one of the reasons why is that there is a huge juxtaposition between the mainstream media's current portrayal of sex work as empowering and simply a job like any other and the reality experienced by the majority of those in prostitution. I do want to point out that during our chat today, I don't want to make any assumptions that every person's story is the same as Genevieve's, and I don't want to make an assumption that every person in the sex industry has experienced the same things that Genevieve has. However, it is a fact that it actually takes an average of 5.6 times for someone to leave prostitution, and a study by Melissa Farley covering five different countries found that 92% of women, men, and transgendered people in prostitution wanted immediate help to escape. It's a controversial topic, but I hope it's one that you'll be open to listening to, maybe learning a few things you weren't aware of, 
Or at the very least, maybe you can connect with Jen's story just simply as a way of finding some inspiration and knowing that whatever you've been through, it is possible to create a new future for yourself, one that you're passionate about and one that truly fulfills you. She's a wonderful woman and I'm excited to introduce you to part one of our two-episode chat. I really came to Australia without knowing anything about the culture. All I had learned was seen on TV in my childhood and in some books actually, but uh, was, you know, I watched Skippy on TV in French. Like it was oh, that's so funny. I can't believe you yeah. had that there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 27, I was studying a master's, there's multimedia at a university and um, I thought I'll try to study, um, maybe my entry went to study or to travel in a faraway country with a bit of security with me to study and not just go on a road trip. And so I, um, I obtained a scholarship. So initially I was accepted, um, I wanted to study in English speaking country so I could learn English and then there's another university that offered me a, a grant to pay for the studies which was in Melbourne so Monash University mm. and then so that's where I ended up and I felt like I was just uh, dropped in Glen Huntley <laughs> by a like by parachute that's how I felt mm-hmm. it was such a foreign country yeah honestly so I lived in a little house well it was a big house that the owner converted a student house and we were 10 students in a four bedroom house <laughs> on bunk beds and things like that. I was the only Caucasian, all Asian. Well, they, they <laughs> probably like, fit on the bunk beds a little bit better. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was, yeah, very interesting. I was 27. They were all 19 to 21 years old. So a bit of a different um, mm. way of Big age life. gap. Yeah. Um, or a big life experience gap as well. Oh, yeah. No, they were straight out of home uh, from their parents and they were playing games together and uh, giggling when they won their game, like their like, um, like chess or whatever they were playing, you know, card games. Mm-hmm. And it was so foreign to me. It was very interesting to watch. But then I also learned a bit of uh, Mandarin and I traveled to Malaysia to meet one of girls later so that was that was really good but then that first year um yeah I studied and um I didn't speak English that well and so first day arriving there uh, I just could not understand especially the Australian accent (laughs) it is it is so weird like I now sound Australian I suppose what was some of the weirdest things about Australia to you when you first moved here you know, in Quebec, we have snow six months of the year. It's very cold. So there's no um, fences or gates around properties. And that's what that's what strikes me here. So in winter, you know, when they shovel the snow with the big snow removers, like the snow goes like a, like a wave, like it goes, it's pushed and goes on the properties. And so there's big um, uh, mountains. Small, well, small matters of snow that accumulates on the front of our properties. So because of that, you know, it's part of their culture. We can't have fences in front of our properties. Right. Anyway, I was very surprised. I thought it was cute. Um, and then later on, I discovered about people's um, behavior and hearts. And, yeah, being confronted to the, the Australian culture really changed my heart myself. Um, people were 
was so warm and friendly and I came from a culture probably living in Montreal in a big metropolis um, I was keeping for my, to myself a lot and yeah. studying I wasn't a, as much of a relational person as I am now and I think Australia changed me for that and so you mentioned when you came here you did have a bit of a grant and some financial support you know obviously there were huge living costs to moving to Melbourne and ongoing study costs. What sort of pressure did that put on you and, and uh, how did that lead you into the Victorian sex industry? I came across that because it was there, <laughs> really. Um, there was a job going for a IT company, okay, uh, tele- telecommunication, mm-hmm. um, and I loved IT. So... Don't look like it, but I, I'm a bit of a, of a techie, and um, I applied uh, to work with that. And there was a one week training, so it was an entry level job. And I sat there in the training room. Um, I knew from the start that I needed to buy myself a mobile phone. It was early 2002. Uh, all Asian students had mobile phones, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also needed a, a car, which you know, we are just out of uni with $55,000 debt. So, you know, I loved training. I was going to be a rep on the road. And I thought, well, I can't do that. I don't even have money to buy a phone, let alone a car. Because of things I've had experienced in Montreal, Canada, I knew about the sex industry. Um, I knew about escorting. I knew about, you know, the money it can bring. And I thought, I have no money. I can't even buy presents for my mother back in Quebec and my youngest sisters. Um, you know, and I, I don't see myself doing this job. Uh, I don't have money to buy phones. And so I went to the internet cafe and then I thought, oh, I need money. I need a job. You know, I can't just spend my, um, you know, my weeks doing some training without it, without mm. a pay. And I didn't speak English that well even after one year. I mean, I studied media uh, and mostly sitting at the computer, clicking, you know, a mouse on a mouse and typing on a computer. I wasn't practicing my verbal skills mm. today. And so um, I found um, information about the sex industry and I didn't know if it was legal or if what it was. Um, I just knew I needed money. Initially, when you were when you started looking into that kind of work, did you have any preconceived ideas about it? You know, did you think that it was I don't know if you want to say easy job, but maybe it was with no. your circumstances. Mm, no, I didn't actually perceive it as an easy job or a job that helps you make money fast, where you can make quick money. I think we. We, I read about it and I hear you saying them because this is the perception from the outside. When I was, and I was deeply involved in the sex industry, yes, these were the words that we used. But when I started, I was very, knew that was going to be very difficult. Like, I didn't want to have sex with strangers, really. It's scary. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't an easy way to make money out. It's not easy at all. You push yourself to do that. 
and you do that because of the pain that you've experienced. Even though I said that I had a, a beautiful childhood, there was a lot of abuse happening and verbal abuse and threats from my dad. He was an alcoholic and um, I didn't really see that or felt it. But that's what leads women to, it's one of the factors amongst many. And then all these factors together lead us to enter the sex industry. And uh, I guess I was like, the question you asked is, is very valid and it's what everyone asks. And is that an easy way to, to make money? It's far from being the easy way. It's a coping mechanism. And that I can only say that now after years of meeting women survivors or being in the States and meeting the women, uh, reading scientific research about the trauma of prostitution. Mm. And uh, it is, you know, thank you for your question. Your questions is there super valid, but that's my answer to that now. Um, I guess I've never elaborated on this. (laughs) No, I think it's interesting because, you know, in the media today, the perception that is put out there is that it's an easy way to make money. It's an empowering way for women to get to to make money. Um, it's an easy way for women to get ahead and, and make more money than than men would. And we'll get into all of that later. But you are right. That is the perception that's often put out there. I don't think any woman wants to uh, make a living out of uh, sucking money out of men's mm. pockets. I was a very angry woman. I was angry at my father who abandoned our family. I just wanted money, you know. I wanted to survive. I wanted a good start in life. So um, my dad wasn't there to pay for my studies. And I thought, I'm just going to pay off my debt and start with a clean slate. Um, Start with no debt. So in eight months, I paid off my $55,000 debt. And this is, you know, today I, over the last over the years in Australia I've met people who went through liberal professions and they start um, as uh, you know entry level jobs in medicine dentistry or pharmacy or the legal sector and they start with um, basic jobs at 50 to 100 thousand dollars a year that's what I've made in my first year mm. of sex industry and because I um, and I can I also, see why that would be very alluring to so many young women because they'd think, well, this is a way to make way more money than I in a shorter period of time than I would make in, you know, my first year of paid work outside of uni, you know. So I can imagine as a young woman that would have been, you know, very alluring. And, and I hear so many women say, it's only going to be, and I've, and I've heard men say this to me as well, oh, it's just going to be short term. I just need to pay off these debts or I'm moving house and I just need to be able to pay this rent um, and it's just short term and then I will, you know, I'll go and do something else. And as you said, you're in that industry for seven years. So after you paid off your debts in the first eight months, what was it that kept you there for another, you know, six and a half years? Well, it's a secret world, so no one knows you're doing that. I mean, most women don't tell their families or friends. You make friends in the industry, so since you are, <clears throat> these are your the people that you share with the struggles of 
the trait, if I may say, even the men that you spend time with. What were the men like that you were working with? Did they sit and listen to the things that you were sharing? Well, I should have um, run a um, scientific research there and have a survey after each booking. I would have had one powerful <laughs> data because um, tell, I'm telling you, um, when you meet 600 to 1,000 men per year, over seven years, that's a lot of people. And um, it's a lot of conversations you have. That's a lot of interactions, um, different types of personalities. Um, what were the men like? Well, say let's say for your listeners, Jazz, uh, they know men. They have their brothers, uncles, neighbours, um, fathers, and these are all the men that buy sex. So what were the men like? They're just like normal men. Mm. So that's my answer to your question. <laughs> They're anyone and everyone. Did they seem sympathetic, though, when you would, like you said, you have a lot of conversations over those years? And I guess sometimes people think that the men just go in there, do the deed and leave. But as you were saying, you sometimes, depending on the person, would spend time chatting with them. Did those men show an interest in your life and your feelings or things that were going on for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they listen, but not all. Just some come and go and they don't talk the whole booking. Easy. You don't have to, no emotional strain. Mm. It just affects, you know, one guy. I was a regular client. I mentioned that before in other interviews where he gave me probably per year. 20,000, uh, he booked me every week or so, um, and he wasn't talkative at all. It was easy. Mm. So in that sense, it can be easy money because <clears throat> I guess because of the hurt and my, the pain of my childhood and my own perception of life, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a bit graphic here, but um, you have the penis penetrating uh, your vagina is you you don't care if you don't care about this your values are elsewhere because of the trauma you've experienced so for me you know doing that wasn't difficult in that sense of course when you start but it was difficult mentally to make the switch to do it you dissociate the immediate when you have this desire to start working in the sex industry, the dissociation and the split starts immediately. But then that's what I was saying now with those men that were maybe easier in the bedroom, in the, you know, doing the intercourse, uh, which most of them do. So it's full penetrative sex. It becomes easier because you've dissociated so much and you've, you just switch off the feelings there may be some mental health issues there that occurred, occurs in men where they're able to just use women for their own pleasure without feelings. Um, so for us women doing the provision of sexual um, services for the men, as we call it, um, to pleasure men to be, you know, paid by them raping us in anyway, because we don't want to have sex with them. We just want the money. We want to survive. Written everywhere, everyone says says this, but uh, we, we we dissociate in order to continue 
the work and you know i felt you know i could see humanity in those men i saw that they could be good men because they're just normal men that we see every day as i mentioned your listeners you know they have men think about the men in your life well, they're all sex buyers that were going there mm. and that's why illegal sex industry that's what illegal sex industry does is uh, it just make it normalizes it so uh, and so that that client that you had it sounds like he was quite nice to you even though you didn't really want to have sex with him but what about the majority of other men did you ever have any clients who were abusive or yeah even though all the most verbal and uh, pro uh, sex work promoting the sex industry uh, I, I watch their interviews I, I hear them and uh, they say it, there's a lot of violence in, uh, in this space it's not a safe environment uh, you never know who you come across mm. and that is legal sex industry there's street as well uh, street prostitution which I could sometimes hear about some of the women that were in the brothel with me, they would sometimes do, um, you know, sex acts on the street just for extra money because they didn't have time to book a hotel room. And they were like, there was a five-star brothel and they were high class, like they were dressed really well. Beautiful women that um, had long hair and looked like models. They did sex acts on the streets and cars. It just shocked me that because I was in the brothel for protection. Well, that's a really good point because through the mainstream media, we always hear about how we need to decriminalise the industry because brothel, you know, brothels are safer and if the industry is decriminalised, then that will stop violence from, you know, your, your, your general street-based work and things like that. Um but for you personally, working in a legal brothel, did you find that that was a really safe way to work in the industry? Was that safer to you or, or did you still experience violence? Yeah, so it came, uh, it comes across as being safe, but never is. Because the very act of walking towards a place to pay for having sex with a woman, it is a abrogation of uh, women's rights and safety you're raping a woman you pay her to force her to have sex you oblige her because she needs the money then you coerce her to have sex with you and this is an abuse so human rights abuse no one no man should do that so at the very core prostitution is violence against women but i was trapped into this i fell into this because of poverty and this is mm, the need of for money is the main reason women get into the sex industry 85 to 95 percent of women according to melissa farley want to exist the sex industry this is not a place uh, an investment in your life it's a season and uh, it should be supported where there's the knowledge women have the knowledge that there's uh, options to leave in uh, social workers and counseling available mm. to get there so with with a lot of the other women who were working alongside you did you find that they had similar stories of being in the industry because of a lack of other financial or 
career options? Literally everyone. They literally all want to leave. Mm. So everyone's sick of the men. They come back from their booking. They whinge about it. It's a very negative environment. It just does your head in. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it's awful. You hear swearing every day. Uh, women get into arguments of not physical fights, but fights with each mm. other um, and bickering and, oh, I just I hated this environment. Um, Would you say that there was a lot of bullying in the industry from other women that you were working with as well? Uh, not bullying as such, I'd say. At first, there's a bit of competition. Uh, who's going to get that man who comes to visit? And then he walks in, sits on a room or in the open lounge and looks um, and waits to be introduced. So you walk to him, you say hello, you speak for two minutes because there's another woman who's going to be upset if you speak for longer. But obviously if the man keeps you for longer, means he's asking questions, might more likely book you or choose you. And so this is a sort of competition. Um, so when there's not much work and we've seen in the last few years the decrease in you know the money uh, that were coming into the brothels and that's I, I hear from the women from my visits now to the brothels outreaching to the women but also when I left in 2010 was my last 2009 was my last year if they had they had seen a decrease of um yeah, the the amount of men walking in the problem bringing money and um so the competition between the women is is real but at the end of the day um we're all in there together and there's a good um good atmosphere there we share about the other men that uh, so sometimes it's like i would find it very negative but there's good good aspects in the in the pain it's just like being in prison you'll find mm. you, you're trying to not that i spend time in jail at all but for some who I guess there's a a bit of camaraderie in a way yeah I guess between you're all doing something that you would rather not be doing so you kind of find friendships or support or hope I guess where you can that's Um, right yeah and I wanted to touch on something that you said before which was Mm -hmm. interesting because when the sex industry is spoken about in mainstream media they don't really push this, they don't support the sort of things that you were just saying before. So you said, yes, in a way, I guess you're choosing You're choosing to do it, but you're, you're choosing because of a lack of other options. And you referred to the sex industry as paid rape. And in mainstream media, you know, whenever I see articles from current, you know, people in the sex industry who are speaking about their work, they say it's really empowering and, you know, we don't service clients that we don't want to, you know, it's not like we have to sleep with really fat, smelly men who don't look after themselves. We can just choose who we who we work with and who we don't. Why do you refer to it as paid rape? You're obliged to have sex with men you don't want to have sex with. They're married, their wife's having a baby, they come to you, I, I don't want to think that that man would be my man who would go and, and, and have sex with a woman because I am eight months pregnant and not really able to have mm. sex with him. I, he obliges me by paying me to have sex. Thus, he, he rapes me. And I get raped because I want desperately, out of for survival, 
I want the money. So for you, this was literal survival. And I guess, you know, you're dissociating from the situation and dissociating from the act. Would you say that you were just allowing your body to be used in that situation, but your soul wasn't really present or you were sort of emotionally tuning out of what was happening? Absolutely. So you dissociate, what we mean by dissociation is, uh, <clears throat> I don't have the scientific definition in front of me, but it's uh, the definitely the splitting of uh, your feelings. So you don't want to feel the situation and you just go somewhere else in your mind and your soul and your whole self to forget what's happening, mm -hmm. to forget the uh, large, hard penis penetrating you and hurting you or just the small, disgusting penis from a shorter man who, you know, is full of tubic hair and he's touching you, mm -hmm. he's penetrating you. And it's, he's not the man you're in love with that you want to have a relationship with. And so obviously you get money out of it. You make a hundred thousand dollars a year and or like some women make you no know, not much money because they don't get men picking them as often. It's just to pay the basic bills. They don't know what's gonna happen. That's the first year I made that money. After that I would not work or, you know, make myself available for that type of uh, money earning. It was, it is very difficult emotionally and physically. Some days are less demanding, the men are less demanding. So physically, some days it can be quite difficult. Mm. And it's not a sport, like it doesn't help you to lose weight. <laughs> like it's, but it is draining, um, you need to be healthy and, do you think those – I was just listening to what you were saying before about what it's like having to dissociate from the situation. Do you think a lot of the men that came to see you would have been aware that you were not enjoying it and that you were having to dissociate from the situation? Do you think in your experience a lot of men think about that? Oh, uh, yeah, um... I guess someone who's conscious of his looks or maybe he's not even conscious, but what I heard or an observation, I suppose, is a lot of less um, good-looking men, I suppose, were less physically advantaged. They will feel that they're really scoring to be with, you know, glamorous. A beautiful woman. With, mm. you know expensive high heels, um, you know, glittery uh, dress and beautiful makeup and a nice perfume. And they, you know, they, they feel that, you know, wow, you know, I'm paying and I, I can't have that woman. Wow, mm. that's, that's amazing. But do you, think Sorry, they, do you think they delude themselves into thinking that the woman is enjoying it and getting you know, something out of it as well? Or do you think they're aware that you're not enjoying it at all but they're just thinking about their own yeah. their own needs? Yeah, so they buy into the fake glamour because we don't dress like that every day. Um, they, they buy into, into that. Yeah, of course they know that you're not interested. But as I said, at the core, prostitution is 
coercion to have sex. So we'd have businessmen coming in, good-looking guys, and sometimes it didn't feel like it was rape when you're doing it. Mm. But you're still pushing your body to have sex with a total stranger that you don't know. And there's no, like, it's not like you've just met them in a bar and you've had drinks together and, um, you know, there's that mutual attraction and and you and you go with that. Like, I'm guessing it's such a, a sterile, forced environment because this person's literally just appears in the room with you, they give you the money, and then you're just expected to get naked and share the most intimate, you know, parts of your body that you would usually share with someone that that you're either in love with or at the very least that you're really attracted to. And exactly. And I can imagine it would be so difficult in that situation and and it makes complete sense to me that that someone would have to dissociate from yeah. the act of what they were doing exactly. in order to get through it. Yeah, we called it, you know, the sperm factory. So, uh, of course, it's not always pleasant. Some men are more pleasant than others. Uh, it's just one after the other. When you're there for the money, when you're, you're your body, your business, and you've got this philosophy of liberal feminism, then you do it. But when you've come to understand how it hurts your life and how um, other, you know, the pain that you see other women go through, and the abuse they go through in their relationships, uh, really hard to have a relationship while you um, are involved in this lifestyle. You realize that um, there's like deep, deep trouble on both sides, that, you know, deep trauma that mm. needs to be addressed. Uh, even for men, is the uh, commodification. They use us to have sex. They, they want their pleasure. They want their um, little treats for the week. Um, mm. They may be addicted to sex as well or porn. Uh, and to get the real thing, they go to prostituted women. So uh, it's there's all sorts of reasons. Like some virgin guys that are barely 16, the first time they had sex with, with a woman was with me. It was awful. He paid me to do that. I just wow. could not believe it. I took the money. I was there to make money. It's, we're there to make money. Of course, you can say that some women can say no to uh, some types of men or those who are unpleasant or smell bad or are a certain background. But when you don't, you, you're picky, you don't make money. And so it depends on the lifestyle you want to have, how long you want to be in the industry. Uh, some cultures um, are really despised in the industry from Caucasian women because of their sexual behavior towards towards us and I, I knew women that would not see those types of men mm. and I would see anyone. Um, I was so like traumatized and troubled by my childhood and my life and I was so much buying into the lie that I would just um, take anyone. All I wanted is get out of there at the end of the day with as much money as possible mm. and then leave that industry. It's not a good place to be. Mm. Last resort, prostitution. And there you have it, friends. That was part one of my two-part chat with Genevieve Gilbert. As you might have guessed from our interview, there's so much more to Jen's story to explore, and there's just simply too much to pack into one interview. 
So please stay tuned for part two of my chat with Genevieve, where we'll actually go a lot more in depth into how she actually exited after eight years, how Genevieve shared her story in the book, Prostitution Narratives, as well as how she became the founder of Pink Cross Australia. If today's chat has brought up some strong feelings or you're struggling, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thank you so much again for listening to this episode of Reasons to Live. And don't forget, you can also keep up to date with me on the Reasons to Live Facebook page. Just go to Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day on Facebook and follow us there. Take care, everyone. Chat soon.